Yeah, there's the other. But the, uh, the chainsaws themselves are not made of ice. It's just the, the thing that you're cutting is ice. So you'd think it'd be like a fire chainsaw. <laughs> but it's not. But unfortunately for you, those upgraded out to, um, uh, like, these stupid things that were like the high G-rank versions. So the chainsaw thing sort of like ended in for you. There was a long sword that was a chainsaw. Lame. Oh yeah, I should turn this up. I just hate turning off the AC because it gets so fucking hot in here. Yeah, we have had night in Just gotta deal with it. Yeah. You having fun? Mm-hmm. I, just a few more seconds. <laughs> uh, I swear I'll beat the game. Uh-huh. I love, like, the... Only just a little bit longer. That is not what I asked, by the way. I asked, are you having fun? Oh, uh, no, not right now. <laughs> Welcome to Noclip. I'm Chad Rodman. I'm JJ Artemis. And I'm Andy Kenner. And today we are still playing <laughs> 999, 9 hours, 9 persons, 9 doors. Which we've been basically referring to as 999, and I think the public does as well. Despite the fact that the title of the game is actually the full thing. No. Yeah. It, like, you can't, if you Google search 999, you'll get a bazillion results because it's a number. <laughs> but if you say the you, name you, you itself. You Google 999 game. Uh, yeah, that would be the up. easiest yeah, way to do it. Yeah. Um, but it was developed uh, by Chunsoft, uh, was released in 2010 in North America on the DS, and has since been uh, <laughs> been ported to PS Vita and the PC. And the PlayStation 4, And I the think. PS4. Yeah. Yeah. Which uh, I didn't know about. I thought it was like a DS exclusive thing. Yeah, so, well, it was for a while. Yeah. And got poor. I think because the sequels came out, they didn't want to keep them on the DS. Mm. Yeah. Um, yeah, and apparently they implemented a feature where there's like a chapter select, so like it makes it way faster to go through and play the different branches. Yeah, there are a couple of things nice. that are like that, like convenience features that I feel like probably should have been thought of and implemented into the main game, but we'll, we'll get to that. Mm -hmm. Right. Uh, also, just want to briefly call out, JJ, you can laugh it up right now, but we discovered, and this is ridiculous, that we didn't know this, but Chunsoft makes another game called Danganronpa. <laughs> <laughs> so we oh. accidentally, we not only are doing Mystery May, but we're doing Chunsoft <laughs> May as well. <laughs> So <laughs> completely unintentionally, yeah. found this out yesterday. I'm so sorry that I keep snickering at the name Chunsoft <laughs> mm -hmm. because it 100% sounds like a name some racist guy would make up for a foreign software development company. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I can see that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Spot on. I'm sure it's like meaningful in some way, but it's I'll get over it. We'll have to say it too many times. It's, like, it's, yeah. a. it's actually the software development company started by Street Fighter uh, combatant Chun Li. That's <laughs> that's how I got the name. Uh, anyway, mm -hmm. this game is, and I kind of thought about this for a minute before I decided on what I was going to say here. Mm -hmm. uh, is that. I believe that this game falls most squarely into the genre of adventure game, though, like, puzzle game is an acceptable alternative. Uh, yeah, it kind of feels like its own little niche of, like, escape room, like, right. version of, like, an adventure game. 
Which, while playing it, weirdly, the things that I felt were... It most, like, made me feel like I was playing were, like, specifically Zelda dungeons in the way that the puzzles sort of unfolded on themselves where it would be like, look at this big intimidating thing that you have no idea how to present yourself to and then you hit one hurdle and then it just cascades and, like, you just start hitting everything. And the way that the best puzzles often go where Mm -hmm. it it manages to be intimidating uh, at that but then still be something you can interact with and keep moving forward at a constant pace. Right. And just more of a visual comparison, it also kind of reminded me of Myst, like the first person like presentation of the areas. Mm-hmm. The the game stylistically reminds me a lot of uh, The Seventh Guest, which was mm. like a PC game uh, from way, way back that was one of the first sort of uh, true adventure game style games. Mm-hmm. And this game has a lot of similarities to that. The one that made me think of it, of course, was the fact that it occasionally puts up a weird 3D rendered thing, usually a door, sometimes an elevator, one time a box, Mm -hmm. and, uh, like, that just calls out this, like, weird aesthetic that I wasn't, I guess, prepared for, Mm -hmm. um... Though I think it works well enough and gave me that feeling of... It it gave me a very, like, nostalgic feeling playing this game. Yeah, it does feel like it's kind of directly inspired by early, like, PC adventure games like that. Mm -hmm. And we are really being pretty generous here and playing up what I think is generally the game's best qualities and focusing on how much the puzzles seem to be pretty well designed, have good pacing in them when you're going through them. Uh, and ignoring that the game is a puzzle game maybe like one third of the time and is a visual <laughs> novel the rest of the time. Yeah, that is true. Not, we, lot, not this much text in Mist, really. Not no. even close. Well, <laughs> Mist is also kind of a unique monster right. because it is there's very little text and what text there is is dense and heavy. Whereas the the text in this game is sort of is conversational, <laughs> there's just I guess. A literal library in Mist with like full actual books that yeah. You need to like read through to get information to beat the game, right? Miss <laughs> is, is one of them games. Uh, I had no idea that this was a visual novel going into it mm-hmm. uh, because I trust you, Andy Kenick, and would assume Did that I you tell would... you that it's not. No, you didn't tell me anything. I <laughs> trust right. you implicitly. Mm. I, I wasn't saying like, oh, you 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 gave me no lies, nothing. Okay, I'm that's just, right. <laughs> I'm just saying that that I, I that I went into this. Uh, solely on your recommendation, uh, and uh, well, because I didn't really recommend it, I was like, "Look at how I've well heard this about." Was I was like, "I've heard about this game like several times, and it seems interesting, and it is really critically well reviewed." Yeah, it ends up on that? a lot of like best games on the DS list yeah. and stuff like so that. So I was like, "How about that?" And, and you guys were like, "Okay, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah." <laughs> it was you, and you were you had backed up well with sources. I'm okay. just saying. Uh, I don't blame you. It's okay. okay. Right. You did not hurt me. This is not your fault. Okay. Uh, man, okay. So I there are a couple of things to unpack from that, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, specifically I feel as though, JJ, you uh, didn't come out of this a big old fan in the end. Oh, uh, no, I did not. You're not, uh, you're not, you're not wearing your 999 <laughs> socks and uh, <laughs> sporting your... Uh, 
Santa styled armwear. Look, now, now you guys are just rubbing in how much like cool, obscure video game memorabilia clothing you're currently wearing, and that I'm not, and I don't appreciate it. Just because you get, you know, freaking cool Hyperlight Drifter hoodies doesn't mean. I'm worse than This me. feels like an advertisement for something we would make no money on. <laughs> okay, fair, fair. But yeah, yes, Chad, you were correct. Uh, part of this is, I assume, a bit of an expectation gap, because I went into this kind of assuming that it would present itself mostly as a video game when it ended up presenting itself mostly as a visual novel. Right. Um, uh, <laughs> let's see. How can how can I try, attempt to do this tastefully? I feel as though well, if you have like a cool line here, I'm not going to interrupt. Oh, thank you, because my lines are generally very cool. Mm-hmm. Uh, do you remember uh, during the Sly Cooper podcast uh, in in which I would end with a little bit of hesitation because of Devon's love for the material, yeah. thinking this is a video game that's a relic of the past and. The fact that it was so well considered in its time, it should be used as like a measurement point from which we have ascended, right. and not like that. Like the nine that nine 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 got in its reviews is right. not like the same kind of standard we'd apply to games today. It's a low watermark, indeed, indeed. one that is washed away mm-hmm. over time. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think the actual meat and potatoes gameplay, the actual puzzles when you get to them. Are pretty or pretty fantastic, and uh, for obvious reasons, I wish that they were more of them, and I wish that they were the primary engagement of the game. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like everything else surrounding that uh, was so completely tacky. I really did feel like I was reading fan fiction the whole time, uh, and. Everywhere I looked to try and like contextualize, like why did people think this was well written? I realized that it was all people who were like talking about obscure Japanese DS games in 2010, right? Which is are not people who are like I mean, I, this is gonna sound fucking douchey, and I'm just gonna own it. Are not people who are going to be like super invested and well read in good literature. Okay. They're people who like would care about general anime tropes and latch on to things that match their preconceptions. I do feel like uh, that is kind of a generalization, but one that like this game breathes a little bit. Mm-hmm. The it it gets a little it gets flowery in its language in the wrong places, mm-hmm. which is the thing that kind of like. That's the part of, that I disengaged with, though I thought, generally speaking, the the story as it is as it unfolds over the course of the game is not by any means like the worst thing in, in the in the world, let alone in this game. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I did feel like the tone was probably going to be where it uh, where it lost a certain red haired co host. Yeah, uh, I I would push back on that a little as well. To me, it had kind of like a like a lost kind of feel to it, like the TV show, mm-hmm. where it started out like. Yeah, the characters are very archetypal or, like, stereotypical, like, tropish. Mm-hmm. But, like, I felt like it worked for the kind of story that's being told. And, like, I, I, I liked the characters. And then I thought the story seemed like it was really setting up all these interesting plot threads. And I was like, okay, this is pretty cool. I'm getting into this. Yeah. And then as it went on, it's like, are these going to have any kind of payoff <laughs> at all? And they kind of, like, I either ended up having, like really convoluted like implications or like weak payoffs. Really and it, minimal yeah, payoff. it really goes like 
off the rails <laughs> as it goes. Yeah. Honestly, and that's like, where it lost me. I thought, yeah, because because as you mentioned, the the characters are, are are archetypal. It it really is the the only ones that I actually took issue with are uh, Lotus and June. And, uh, like, I'll flash my badge, you know, like, hey, I'm a SJW mm-hmm. cuck lord. Uh, <laughs> but the the fact that the, the female character that is coded as being, like, the sexual one is presented as, like, basically evil the whole game. Like, everybody talks about how cold she is and, like, just throws insults her way. And June goes out of her way to, like, emphasize that she is virginal and therefore good (laughs) within the first fucking room. Yeah. Like, kind of put a black cloud over the whole, especially the whole, like, romance angle they're going for. Because the whole thing made me go, like, I don't know if this game is trying to, like, really amp this particular relationship up so that they can subvert it in the end. Mm -hmm. Which they kind of do. They do. But not at all in the way that they should have, given the setup that it that yeah, it was. and like Lotus's character kind of like does a, not really like a one eighty, but that like prejudice stuff just kind of drops off, right? Like it's in a weird way. I want to make sure we don't let this pass without me also getting a few stabs in. Sure. Uh, the first room, like June conversation, assuming that you go that direction, right? Is so unbelievably tasteless given the context of the story. Yeah, I thought like room, on... you mean like room what is it four with like the dog painting on the wall. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. okay. The, yeah, the, the one where you go in there after with the you, bed. after you just witnessed a man explode and walk through like his entrails, mm-hmm. in which after, directly after that you have a conversation with her about like how she hasn't found Mister Right yet, and mm-hmm. that jokes about showering with her. Like yeah. that's the uh, well, not even the because mis- the part of the bug is the fact that she was like the number of men I've dated. It's 18 times zero uh-huh. because it's like so much weirder that somebody would have dated no one at her age than any number of people. Like, but they <laughs> presented as a positive quality. Well, yes. actually, how old are they supposed to be? Do they ever actually say they're in the kindergarten? Nine years, the kindergarten. Welcome to Chad's English. Uh, they're in kindergarten nine years prior to the events of the game. Wait, that can't be right because your main character is explicitly. 21. Oh, you're. Oh, it's. Oh, they actually give an age. Okay. They gave a name for. They gave a name for you. For okay. June. So maybe it was like it was just elementary school then. Okay. I think is what it was. Sure. Nine years prior. Is, okay. Because that's the la- according so to then, them. So then, yeah, last time you're you're correct. It's him. weird that she's never dated anybody. <laughs> it's, it's super weird. By the age weird. of 21. Yeah. Uh, and I mean, I don't know if that's a cultural thing, but the game was, they made an attempt to, like, you know, localize the yeah. game for this audience. It's 100% yeah. a cultural thing, for reference. Right, yeah. Yeah, and it's one of those things where they only really did that in, like, one, in, like, the first room. Yeah. Like, there are weird inconsistencies like that. The first room had me 100% convinced that June was a robot. <laughs> like, some kind of AI or, like, a fit, like, somebody wearing June's skin, like, in Men in Black. Like, it was very yeah. weird. I had a, a, a theory early on where, like, she wasn't gonna be real. I was like, has anyone else talked to her but me? You right, know, like, yeah. that kind of uh-huh. a thing. Yep, yeah. yep, yeah. I don't know if, if you... Okay, so when we started this, I said, uh, still playing, and that was in uh. reference to the fact that you had the DS open mm-hmm. as you were trying to get through the final story portions. Are you aware that you are correct? Yeah. Okay, yeah, good. I found right. that out. Uh, I got out of the, the incinerator room 
uh, after solving the Sudoku, solving the Sudoku, yeah. uh, looking up the answers to the Sudoku, <laughs> and then I was like, okay, close this, put it over here. That's probably enough. Right. Yeah. I escaped. <laughs> yeah, good you, job. You found... Yeah. Yeah. I forget I what they say it. at the end of each. <laughs> you found it? Probably not. It pops up and says, you found something. I don't remember what okay. it is. Okay. Okay. Uh, but no, the, on the tone of the game, yeah. uh, I had like kind of a thesis, and I'm just kind of like going to skim this to refresh my memory of what I was talking about. Okay. Um, because it also sort of threw me a little bit, though in the end I ended up kind of liking it, and I think it, the reasons why will become self-evident as we go through this discussion. Mm-hmm. But th- this game plays as an escape room, that's its intent, and escape rooms in the physical world have their roots in like, uh, get, like as a game in terms of things like Cluedo or Clue uh, as it is in the uh, America uh, <laughs> which themselves have roots in uh, like mystery literature and films uh, like uh, House on Haunted Hill and shit all dating all the way back to the early 1900s mm-hmm. and probably earlier than that which means all of that basically to say that this game has a vast and wide pool to draw from when it comes to its inspirations because the primary story is about like individuals ingenuity and like a group's teamwork coming together to solve something as opposed to like brute strength or whatever it's like a celebration of intelligence yeah and to that end, I don't know why the, like, direct inspiration they chose to draw from was a Saw movie. Like, it feels so weird It in feels comparison. like the most, like, modern touchstone, probably. Get, yeah. yeah. That's, the, that's the thing that I find interesting about this, is that uh, while most of the things that I read about it when I was trying desperately to figure out why people enjoyed this experience. Uh, what, from the American perspective, is pe- people often come back to solve because you have these situations where people are stuck in these horrible circumstances mm-hmm. going through. But that's not actually, I think, the clearest touchstone. Uh, and this might be something that uh, I'm kind of comparatively privy to because of how much manga that I read when I was like a, a dopey like elementary and middle school kid when I was younger. Sure. And coincidentally, I probably have the closest association with Saw as being the only person <laughs> on the planet who actually likes those movies. I like the first one. Yeah, I was under the impression people actually still thought the first one's good. Oh yeah, everybody yeah. thinks because so, the first one's amazing. Yeah, okay. it's like oh, a yeah. modern I'll horror defend it. Yeah, it's like it's a modern classic. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I was just just checking. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't no, know much. With the horror zeitgeist. Yeah, we'll never throw shade on Saw One. We'll throw shade on like Saw Four. It was like yep, really yep. bad. Gotcha. Yeah, go. Same page. Uh, but my primary touchstone for this is actually, I swear to God, the first volume of the Yu-Gi-Oh manga. Okay, like, I love one, this. One hundred percent, and lots of other things that are very similar to it. You would, oh, that was that part where. Uh, your main character's grandfather gave him that exotic. <laughs> no, wrong, <laughs> incorrect. Uh, as I, realized, black metal dragon. As I explained to you guys many times when I was like fourteen, uh, because I was to some extent terrible and loved myself and still do. Sure. Uh, 
<laughs> the initial volumes of that show weren't based around a card game. They were based around just games abstractly, mm-hmm. and all of the games ended with, like, murder or torture or mind wipe or something. Like, they all had <laughs> terrible, horrible consequences. And this wasn't exclusive even to, like, Yu-Gi-Oh! as an institution. Mm-hmm. Just through lots of the manga that I read when I was a kid, there was it was always se- it always seemed like a cartoony kind of light atmosphere designed primarily to be marketed to you know kids it was supposed to be bold and colorful and interesting but was also extremely graphically violent uh, and inexplicably like really sweary like like right. they had lots of r rated things that were clearly being advertised to things for kids and the 999 gave me exactly the same vibe the whole way through there's also like a general association in manga and i don't know why for like murder games with technology instruments yeah i remember like because my literal only thing that i can make this comparison to yeah is to battle royale yeah uh which this of course has like some tinge to but i feel like anything that is like a life or death game scenario like this is arguably closer to the island of dr moreau than it is to battle royale (laughs) but i still drew the connection because of the art style oh fair yeah yeah, I don't know why, uh, at least coming from that kind of cultural background, there seems to be so many things that pull, like, really specific rule-based setups that they kind of over-elaborate over and over again. Like, Death Note is the good example of, like, this kind of structure where they're like, let's have a lot of really fucking specific rules about mm-hmm. what people can do. I remember reading things when I was a kid, uh, I don't even remember the name, it's been so long ago, about stories about things like, uh, oh, you're part of this game where you have to try and steal a suitcase full of millions of dollars from other people whose names you don't know, but, like, you have all these specific clues. Like, that's just, like, a whole genre in this and, kind of yeah, history. There's probably like something that you can trace it back to that we yeah. just don't know. Right. And Andy, I know you drew the comparison to The World Ends With You, which oh, has yeah. a similar setup as yeah, well. Yeah, yep. I, I want to make sure we get all these through lines connected. This is like a whole Japanese thing. <laughs> yeah, like mm-hmm. a bunch of kids trapped in a life or death game. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> with a lot of rules. And with swearing. a lot of rules, and <laughs> yeah. where they have to repeat a cycle over and over. Right, yeah. But, and, and the most important thing that I want to hammer home about this comparison that I think is emblematic of 999 is how just shockingly immature it is and how much uh, it constantly treats you like that Saturday morning kid cartoon watcher repeating over and over again things that you already know narratively in in what is not only the bulk of the time that you spend with the game, but what's supposed to be its, like, primary selling point is that, like, it's supposed to be a visual novel, well-written, compelling, with good characters who develop in interesting ways and i don't know how many fucking times i reread what digital roots were and how they work uh, yeah. until i just gave up uh-huh. uh, I, it really did break me uh, on a very on a very personal level <laughs> it's been a long time since that has happened on this podcast I'm actually kind of shocked because that shows a lack of patience for the subject matter Mm -hmm. that rivals my own in most (laughs) scenarios. Indeed. The things that killed me about this game were, one, the fact that they kept displaying math equations on the screen as if, like, one, the viewer slash reader slash game player have already been doing in their head Mm -hmm. or know they're going to give them the answer and therefore don't bother. Right. And that's one thing I fact- had to wonder yeah. if it was a cultural thing. Like, because the game does, like, 
they'll like throw like oh we need to do this and this and they're like what's the answer junpei like out of nowhere like they <laughs> just like ask you for the answer and i'm like this is like a cultural thing like would japanese people be doing all these calculations in their head as they're going <laughs> yeah. like is that like a like a thing that they would do i don't know i actually had the reverse problem although granted i might just not have stayed long enough in order for them to actually start prompting you for the answers but one thing that really really annoyed me in in the early sections of the game was that when they were setting up the whole like digital root door system which they explained many many times over and over again <laughs> beyond when i understood it i kept thinking that like oh this is an interesting way to do character pair-ups and branching stories because i thought i was going to have to do the math and figure out all the different combinations of characters who could go into the different doors but they always just prompt you yeah and then they just mm-hmm. give you a, like like a one of two choices with the two possible answers and i can't I can't overstate how completely deflationary that was to me. Because it's not like the game... It's not like that's just a miscommunication. The game literally gives you a calculator for these things. Yeah. Well, they bake the pair-ups too much into the plot to get you to, like... For you to just, like, be fucking around with it like that. Right. Yeah. Well, so, and, yeah, they kind of shot themselves in the foot. Because it seems like the kind of thing where make... Yeah, the first two doors present the player with, this like, the two options and have them pick one. But right. then after that... They had to do it themselves would seem the way you would design it in a game. Yeah. But because it ties deeply into the plot. Yeah, because it's not can't. a game first. It's a visual right. novel. Yeah, it's a first. story first. Yeah. Well the the issue that I take with it I feel like it got muted pretty heavily when I thought about it for a bit. Yeah. Because there are a couple of issues with doing it the way that would have been ideal, where you just do the math and figure out your favorite combination. Yeah. Is the the easy one to get out of the way immediately is the number of different like dialogue trees they would have to write given the mm. number of combinations you could like conceivably come up with for each individual door mm-hmm. would be just staggering and not be able to like you like you wouldn't the, the, you wouldn't want to do that Two, the number of combinations you can make really usually is boiled down to two or three specifically for this reason to to prevent them from having to write all that. Right. And the digital root system is such that the number of like different combinations you can make is probably not that high in the first place. Mm-hmm. And they obviously kill characters off in order to take their numbers out of the pool. Yeah. Uh, and then lastly, at least for me, is that that would become so fucking tedious to be like... All right, going through another door. Now spend at least a couple of minutes coming up with all the different, yeah, yeah, which would be like ridiculous. So one thing to shift to a piece of game design here, I like to criticize. Why the fuck did they give you that calculator when you can't use it in the cutscenes? When you get asked what the digital route you want to go with is. <laughs> They're like, can you Here. not? Yeah. No. Oh, weird. Yeah, because they give you that calculator where you just put in the three numbers and click digital root and it gives it to you. Mm-hmm. You can't use that whenever you're asked, hey, what's the digital root of these numbers? Like, you have to pull out your phone or an actual <laughs> calculator and do the math there. Right. Because the game won't let you my... use the calculator they gave you to do that. <laughs> my, here's my experience <laughs> with the calculator as, like, a concept. I So I just didn't use it. Yeah. <laughs> I never used the calculator, and in fact, one time while mashing through a conversation, uh-huh. which was not because I didn't want to read the dialogue, it's because the text feed of this game is glacial, mm-hmm. and so mm-hmm. you end up sitting there going like, oh man, it would be real nice if I... And they do the thing that they do in games often, where it'll show, like, some dots... And then to 
indicate a pause, followed by more dots over and over again, and the time between getting through each one of those slowly drove me to the brink of madness. Oh, absolutely. But while mashing through a conversation, I accidentally pressed the Y button and thought that the calculator was coming up to emphasize a story moment, and then when nothing happened after like eight seconds, I was like, oh, oops, and then closed it, and that was the only time I saw it. Yeah, I did that with the map once or twice where I brought up the map, and mm-hmm. I was like, is this something the game is doing right now, yeah. or did I just hit the X button on accident? <laughs> yeah. It's it's really hard to keep uh, keep tabs on what button you're hitting when you're just rapidly trying to get through this game without engaging with it in any way. <laughs> you, your read on this is so much harsher than, than ours mm-hmm. that it's amusing me greatly. <laughs> oh, oh, completely. This is... Oof, this is. You, I'm assuming you just got one ending. I didn't get any ending. You didn't get any. Oh, you didn't I get quit. Any I respect myself and therefore quit very quickly <laughs> uh, and did better things with my life and time and uh, was kind of in like the back of my mind, desperately hoping that we'd all would get here and be like, oh, all of us hated it and none of us completed it. And then we could all like talk about like bread pudding or delicious mm. things like that or something. How far did you get? Uh, I quit. Literally after the second room, after I went through another period of time where I had to wait, like a where I was like, oh, maybe it was just this one time where there was a ludicrous amount of dialogue in between actual gameplay segments, and I was like, nope, this is the second chance and proof that this game actually thinks that the conversations it's displaying to me are the primary appeal. Uh, and I disagree, video game, click, and then I handed you the cartridge. Right. The Did you get to the point... Uh, in the story where Snake is killed? No. Okay. So Snake dies. Okay. Uh, he's the blind guy. I know. I actually do remember the numbers and names. That's okay. one thing I actually did like about the fan, like very fan fiction presentation with this, is did, that the names are well done. Did so, you... Uh, one ahead. thing that was weird is at the very beginning when you first run into them all, mm-hmm. like... You you meet them all and like we're on the Junpei same page and his here. head is like gives them all names mm-hmm. and then immediately they proceed to give themselves different nicknames. Yeah, <laughs> like so he like gave them all nicknames, which you're like, okay, yeah. I like this, like I can remember these. Yeah, mm-hmm. and then they're like, fuck that, here's some new nicknames. Remember these ones. <laughs> remember these ones. We'll never go back to the other ones. And because of this, and because of the outright. <laughs> As just completely asinine choice they made. I never remembered Seven's name because it's the number fucking seven. Mm-hmm. And I would go, that guy is. Mm, I know his number seven. Mm. And it would take me forever to remember that that's just. He was like, I'm seven. That's the joke? Yeah. It, yeah. it just reminded me of uh, that time that we played the Jackbox Party Pack with uh-huh. Jen. Mm. And we were like, we use our real names here so <laughs> that we could easily recognize who's doing what. Yeah. And so she put in her name as Jen, and then we immediately followed up by naming ourselves with the <laughs> dumbest imaginable things right in a row. Right, right. Like, he was like, we should give ourselves code names. I'm seven. And then everyone was like... I'm Snake because I'm blind, and he was like had to have been like, ah, oh, like give me like a second chance, right? Like I'm lucky. 
No. Something. No. I feel like even if he'd gone last, he still would have just called himself Seven. Yeah, right. because he's that's not stupid, though. Yeah, but but that's supposed to be the whole joke yeah. is that he's a stupid black guy who does manual labor. Yeah, but yeah. he's not. Isn't that hilarious? Like, yeah, but thing. in the end, he, he's a detective. Yeah, <laughs> he's a detective. He knows well, thing, like what's going on with stuff generally. Yeah, and well, in the end, the, well, they they had this whole thing where he had amnesia the whole time. Yeah. Because, oh my God. Are you? Oh Jesus. And that's like Christ. so. And they you and that's why they made they coded him as stupid. Right. Because he like didn't remember stuff. Oh my God. Yep. So this game has plot points about amnesia, people forgetting faces. This game is time stop, loop. Stop. Okay. You're, what you're doing here is yeah. naming things that are in the game. Yeah. That's gonna take too long. <laughs> you want to name things that aren't in the game. There are no kittens. I don't think I saw like a pear at any point. Other than that. Uh, everything else I think is present. It's almost <laughs> like this narrative was overstuffed because someone was just really excited about being able to write a visual novel for a video game and threw in everything. Well, it becomes overstuffed because of the multiple endings. Yeah, and, and like because the game starts talking about things like they they talk about Ice Nine, which is like a uh, a type yeah. of ice that doesn't melt at room temperature, <laughs> and like all that stuff. Like I thought all that stuff had like really good build up, and like mm-hmm. I was I super agree. I was super into it for like my first two playthroughs like first two endings yeah and i was like the true ending is gonna be awesome payoff you know like i i really like i thought it was actually going somewhere and yeah. then, oh man did it take the, the wind out of my sail the <laughs> amount that the bad endings are more satisfying than the true ending mm-hmm. is staggering because like the true ending kind of turns everything on its head because they do all this stuff with the exception of the conversation that you have with june in the first like actual puzzle room that isn't the tutorial one mm-hmm. um where she talks about like the writing of a book before the titanic sank that predicted everything that happened mm-hmm. and like all this discussion about ghosts and foresight that eventually ties into the true ending um doesn't make sense logically mm-hmm. like because it's bullshit uh <laughs> the other stuff like ice nine and like the the glycerin crystallizing and the yeah. whatever the fuck they called it the like the fields the, oh, the morphic yeah. psychic fields yeah, yeah the morphic psychic fields. and like the the mummy that didn't decay the, yeah and stuff the, I, I might draw the line of the mummy uh, but it, it was interesting it tied in with everything else too yeah like, yeah but all that stuff seems like semi-okay plausible and like with the existence of things like digital roots being brought up in the game all the time there was actually a point where i like just wasn't sure anymore if like the new somewhat outlandish thing really existed in the world or if it was purely a construct of the game Mm -hmm. and like 98 percent of what they talk about is made up for the game yeah but it's presented in such a way that feels grounded and real mm-hmm. to the point where all of the endings where somebody just fucking murders you and escapes on their own seem way more visceral and way more like what the game was going for Yeah, than the actual that, true The ending. true ending should have been one of them is evil and everybody else escapes together. Yeah. Yeah. And I bet people who are list- potentially listening to this, who are fans of the Nonary Games series, probably hate that statement. Yeah. Yeah. I, it really, in, in discussions about uh, the way that, like, the semi, like, walk the line of reality fantasy elements, like yeah. the... Some people call it science fiction. That's what it is. Yeah, that's the name of those things. God damn it. God damn it. Uh, uh, Those those sci-fi elements that they included. Mm -hmm. uh, 
it really reminded me of a Kojima rant. It's very similar to the mm-hmm. way he tries to ground what's going on in the in the circumstances of the fiction, but mm-hmm. then like just barely inch your way toward like nano robots and like psychics and bee control. I want to loop so far back around that this is going to hit two points that I really wanted to talk about. Yeah. Um, first of all, you bring up Kojima, which I agree with your statement generally that Kojima seems like it was an influence here mm-hmm. in the way that he talks about like. The, those sci-fi elements being injected into a mostly realistic world. Yeah. Um, I thought about Kojima right at the beginning of the game when uh, man number nine dies, or the nine man. The ninth no, man. No, the ninth man. Mm-hmm. Yeah. When he dies, uh, they immediately go like, let's open this door up. And they like open the door and, he, oh, look at all the blood. Ah, <laughs> ew, gross, nasty. And then the door closes and then they move on with their lives. And then eventually they go like, in the dumbest decision ever, say, do you want to go with door number four that you have like a, an established person that you're familiar with going through and all the numbers work out, we've already done the math and had a lot of exposition? Or do you want to forcefully choose to take the door with the corpse behind it? <laughs> I feel like who the fuck well, ever chooses door five in that scenario? Well, I was tempted because the game like baits you with the whole... Where Junpei is like, I, we should probably check that corpse. That's but, true, but yeah. like, oh, but I want to go with June because like right. maybe we can fuck in the bathroom or something. Exactly. Um, uh-huh. Yes. So, um, but like, and like in reality, I'm like, what I want to do if I was in this situation would be like, I'm gonna go with four because that's what we decided. But you guys should check that body. Right. Like Just you know, like it. to communicate with each other. <laughs> but like, no, you can't do that. Yeah. <laughs> But uh, the reason I bring it up at all, other than to bring up that point that we all agree with, I guess, mm-hmm. uh, is I'm, I'm reminded of... Do you remember the vamp scene? You wouldn't, because you never played Metal Gear Solid 2. Mm-hmm. But in Metal Gear Solid 2, JJ, yes. the vamp scene where he like slaughters a whole hallway full of guards. Indeed. And then you walk around on the tanker for... Or no, on the plant for a while. And then later, you come in and you have to, like, wade through the viscera to get to Vamp's actual boss fight. Mm -hmm. It's such a fucking good, compelling moment. Because you see this moment with Vamp being, like, a badass, and then you have to go through the aftermath and say, like, am I actually prepared to fight this guy? Mm -hmm. They could have had such a gut-punch moment if they had the ninth man pull his little gambit run into the door, explode, and then everyone goes, fuck, and goes elsewhere. Mm -hmm. It does another thing, you do a puzzle room, you have a conversation, and then later, midway through the game, or late game, you go into a door and you just see, like, a corpse, Mm -hmm. or the remains of a corpse, and just be like, like, that re-grounding of being like, people died. Mm -hmm. Like, this is bad. This is serious. It would it would do a great job of like grounding it and taking the levity out of like the weird humorous moments. I think Junpei asks if they could fit through a pipe at least three times <laughs> if you like select all the stuff in the room. Yep, it's real weird, and mm-hmm. I I feel like that was a huge missed opportunity. Yeah, yeah, they were instead trying to set the stakes immediately and early, uh, but did so. At a painfully slow speed, because that guy takes way too long to die, and you take way too long examining his organs or whatever. 
Uh, and then undercut it immediately afterwards with those same jokes and strange kind of like unearned levity because again it's trying to be like a Saturday morning cartoon where people explode and children say fuck yeah. <laughs> and that's mm-hmm. ooh yeah it's almost like they came up with like the structure of like where the rooms were on the boat and how you moved through it before they came up with the story and they were like Oh, it would be cool to have them come back here later, but they have to do these two doors to move mm-hmm. on to the next one. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, the, the tension is even mechanically undercut, because you don't actually have a time limit in the escape sections. Like, why didn't they do that? Well, because, to be fair, I would be currently, like, holding my own heart in my hands and attempting to resuscitate myself <laughs> Well, if I had a time limit in the escape room sections, because it would just drive... It would make me so nervous. Yeah, I also hate time limits in games. Well, I, I don't hate time limits in games, I just hate the well, idea of doing it in a puzzle game. Yeah, well, that's kind of what I mean. Like, <laughs> Catherine. <laughs> Ooh, sorry, you. I've got a really bad time. <laughs> um... But I, you know, I hate it when, like, a ticking clock is placed over puzzle solving. It kind of sucks all the fun out for me. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a really common thing. Like, a lot of people don't like it when you put a countdown on something, even if there's more than enough time to do it. Yeah. It, it incentivizes you to, like, do trial and error puzzle solving over thinking things through and, and solving Yeah, it, it, Yeah, it, and you end up just brute forcing stuff. Okay, yeah. then fine. Don't have it be a circumstance where it's a time <laughs> I love limit. I just verbally beaten well, you down. But <laughs> I was in, beaten in your, before I even arrived. In your defense, worry. though, like, I've done an actual escape room before, and you do have a time limit in an escape right. room. So, like... But it's like a real world, like, hour. Mm-hmm. Right, and I, yeah. like, that kind of doesn't translate to gameplay, you know? Like, what they could do instead, which would actually fit thematically with the setting what's going on instead of contradicting it completely, uh, is tie in uh, how quickly you solve the puzzles to the kinds of endings and results that you get in the game. They could have made it so that it's not like you have 20 minutes to solve the puzzle, right. but like the faster you solve the puzzle, the better things will be to you because yeah. the more time you have to do other stuff. I thought the game was going to acknowledge that at right. some point because like I think it's canonical at least after you get the safe ending, you get gassed by zero. Mm-hmm. And I feel like it's... I got the vibe that like... I'm actually playing through it a second time, but I'm not sure if that's true. Because right. who knows with this game? Who knows? Uh, but like, but you know, you keep your memories from before, and like, I'm solving like the first room in like two seconds flat. Yeah. You know, like the first couple, and like, I just was waiting for the game to be like, "Hey, how are we sol- how are we still solving these puzzles so quickly?" Mm-hmm. And it just doesn't. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Because again, since. The game requires replay playthroughs to go through and get all the information to know what's going on in the narrative. Even if players themselves don't naturally scale up in their ability to solve the puzzles quickly, mm-hmm. your ability to get through the early puzzles like immediately because you just know the answer will already give you the option to go through different uh, different paths narratively if it was gated that way than you could on the first time you played it through. It would be a much more organic way of doing that than just being like, oh, I'm going to turn back to page 37 and then go to the next section of the Choose Your Own Adventure book. Right. Well, which is uh, a, a mechanic that is, like, I guess, in support of your point, though I don't necessarily deem it a negative, uh, traditional in visual novels mm-hmm. when you when you play a visual novel they will often put in scenarios where choices you make will kill your character or end the story in some other way that they count as an ending and start you back over but then you have the option to fast forward through the dialogue to get to each choice so that you can take a different path 
And I think that that is kind of what this game was going for, because it was clearly going for being a visual novel. Um, but I don't think that's inherently wrong or anything. Though I do wish they would have gone with a few extra endings for... Uh, that are based on time in order to even out the frustratingly inconsistent six endings in a game called 999. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and it's even, like, I found, like, really surprising just how much the number nine shows up. Like, mm-hmm. they really went all out with that, but then the endings are, no, six. <laughs> That's it. Which is like a nine upside down. Yeah, kind of. Yeah. Maybe if you Which add... you have to hold the game upside down to play that Sudoku yeah. puzzle at the end. This is so, kind of neat. Yeah. There's there's three games in this nonary game series, right? Yeah, this is a trilogy. Maybe if you add together... I think it's called, like, the Zero Escape series is the actual whatever. title. Sure. But there's three of them. Yeah. Uh, maybe if you add together... Six to go. ...the number of endings in each of the three games and <laughs> take the digital root of that, <laughs> maybe that, maybe that's nine. That's probably nine. It could be... Yeah, it's nine. I can't uh, imagine... That the digital root thing stays consistent through the series because of what a like really shallow conceit it is. Mm-hmm. Like, Didn't stop them from making any other shallow thing completely consistent through the rest of the narrative. Why stop at one? But I mean, that's not narrative. I mean, I guess it kind of is narrative, but it's only barely narrative. <laughs> it's narrative in the sense that like uh, the car keys to the villain's car. <laughs> In a movie, our narrative. It's a thing that moves the plot along that it's people plot, have to it's a think plot about. Device. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. But it's not there for us. St- like, nobody goes, oh, the digital root it totally explains who the killer is. Right. Like, it's just a thing that they use. It's a device, literally. Like a device, like a like an Impreza or something. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but no, to. to I guess, uh, Jay, to your point, I felt like the issue that this game had, and because I, when I started the game, I didn't make the connection between it and a visual novel immediately, was that the game felt like it was written before it was anything else was done. Like, they just, like, wrote a whole thing. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's really evident in the fact that, like, it has these, you know, like, traditional visual novel things where some people are on screen and the text shows up and it's their dialogue and there's narration but they'll show something and then they'll describe it for a while and you go hmm like but there it is like I can look at it and discern the thing you're telling me like the first encounter that you have with Zero and they're describing like he has a gas mask on Mm -hmm. and his eyes you can't see him because of his gas mask Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and the whole in the top screen is just a gas (laughs) a picture of a gas mask and I know what a gas mask is because I'm alive right now and that is a fairly common thing, especially in video games, mm-hmm. a la Zero, Roadhog, Psycho Mantis. Uh, so, I don't know, I've had a lot of, a, a lot of the, like, interstitial dialogue felt, like, a little bit overwrought. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And there is, you know, some example of ways in which that dialogue can be helpful. You know, there are sometimes when, like when they don't want to specifically show the man who has his torso exploded yeah. and they can give you like, you know, like the gruesome descriptions that can make your skin crawl. Well, but that was like, the thing I asked you about with snake. Mm-hmm. when he dies, they pour over that description for like a very long mm-hmm. time. Ah, uh, yeah. So, yeah, we'll talk about this later. <laughs> okay. Fair. I'll, I'll, I'll remember it I'll keep, later. I'll keep harping on this instead. Uh, which is, uh, they seem to have, 
not understood completely the difference. Like when someone says, you know, uh, like, like show, don't tell in a literature context, what they generally mean is like create emotive descriptions of what's going on. Things that go beyond what you can see in front of you if you're playing in a medium like video games where you have something that you can visually identify. And it works in cases when you're describing like the horrid, disgusting smell of rotting flesh, right. but it doesn't work when you're like, this is a black gas mask, which also <laughs> happens. Yeah. It, it is very, it like, and I understand like the desire in this type of a game to go with a more tell, don't show sort of uh, approach. Mm -hmm. The the positive that I see from it is that it can absolutely give you a description of something that calls out what's important about it, which is really good in a, in escape room situation. So when they point out something that doesn't have a use, somebody will say something about it. And if you point at something that does have a use, they'll usually call out the thing that's useful about it. Mm -hmm. They do have the, like, PT style, like, you can rotate the object and examine it. Yep. Which is a, a, I will get crucified, that's more of like a Resident Evil thing. Uh, <laughs> but the, uh, like, that exists and helps in some ways. In the boiler room puzzle, you get the little, like, panel that has the, the knobs on the back, and you know where to put them because of it. But uh, sometimes, you know, it's helpful to just be like, it has, like, a shiny corner. And you're like, oh, cool, shiny corner, noted. Mm -hmm. I'll remember if I run into anything that would associate with a shiny corner. Yeah, that needs some, a shiny cornered object. Exactly, yeah. It also, like, from another angle, it kind of fills in, like, any, like, graphical limitations. Like, because there's... Surprisingly, like, they do a lot with what they have in terms of, like, art assets. Yeah. Mm. The, the sprite work isn't bad. Uh, I was legitimately surprised uh, the first time they actually showed animated sprite work. Yeah, the animations are nice. Yeah, because they yeah they're like used seldomly and yeah. really smooth. Yeah, uh, there's a lot a lot of frames in the way that those were going through, especially for a DS game at the time. So I remember all of those looking very good when they infrequently did show up. But it, it took so long for the first one to appear. I think it was like the little like the girl with like the pom pom head. Right. Uh, the, the pink one. Clover. Clover. That's her. Yeah. Uh, when like when like she did like a thing, I was I, like 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 I jumped a little bit because I, I didn't realize that anything moved on the screen ever. Yeah, but it was a yeah. I kept having to sort of like double check that it was a DS game because I was playing it on a 3DS, obviously, because yeah. I'm not like a monster. Yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> you were the times. Yeah, and so like I, I kept being like this is like this looks really good, but like I would compare it to other games and I'd be like, wait a minute, that's not a DS game. Like, comparing it to The World Ends With You, I think, is actually pretty appropriate, where this game, like, obviously wants its visuals to pop and sort of, like, have this juiciness to them because of the nature of the game, mm -hmm. uh, whereas The World Ends With You is going for, like, a really stylized thing. This is the last DS game that I played, and it, this, you can tell that this game looks better and, like, spent a lot of time on its visuals. The design of all the areas and the fact that they're all sort of, like, internally consistent is really nice as well. I thought the world design overall was good. Yeah. You can polish that kind of stuff a lot when you don't have as many areas yeah. or as many characters, and etc. Yeah. Since this game does kind of have a number of characters in it, um, and the... <laughs> that's, well, what a good way to do this. Hold what on a, a terrible way to do this. Yeah, they do kind of have characters. It does kind, kind of, of have... It has some characters. Old sides, a little. Um, we should talk more about those characters and that 
all that stuff, and then the puzzles and all all the good the good puzzly things. Uh, after like a break, because we're running along, and I feel like it's starting to sort of almost smell bad in here. <laughs> Welcome back from the break. Uh, my hackneyed attempt to come up with something that we were going to talk about when we uh, returned was questionable, but uh, in addition to like the story of the game, which is obviously like what they were kind of focused on as, as far as uh, actually putting this together, they also dedicated quite a bit of time to trying to characterize uh, the nine characters or the five or so characters <laughs> and then the couple of people who seem to have like almost nothing to do with anything. Now presumably that would change if, depending on the route you take uh, and some characters would be given more characterization like the I sort of like had Clover become a character halfway through my run whereas before she was just nothing but a trope mm-hmm. and yeah. it was kind of jarring. Yeah all the characters actually like have a place in the narrative like a a reason for being in the game that Mm -hmm. you won't necessarily find out unless you do certain paths or get like oh so far in yeah so uh like i guess uh upon my initial playthrough uh which will likely be my only playthrough uh there is a like you depending on what choices you make determines like the ending and i had basically fulfilled all of the requirements to get the actual ending and then ended up choosing one incorrect choice uh placing me on the path to one of the many bad endings uh which overall i found probably more satisfying that i found the true yeah. ending but chad and i had, took the exact same path on our first playthrough yeah mm. uh but yeah midway through that there's just this scene uh, in the operating room, which I thought was a cool puzzle, all things considered. That was one of my favorites. Yeah, uh, where Clover just, like, starts discussing uh, the experiment, which presumably is the the test that you are currently in. Like, the other version of it would mm-hmm, be the, the experiment. Game. And then gets cut off <clears throat> midway through. So, like, she gets this, like, set, like, where... It, it, it was almost like... Uh, it's a trope of its own where someone who seemingly is nothing, like is not a character, serves one single purpose, in this case to be a screaming child, uh, just like all of a sudden lapses into like a weird, like cogent thought before returning to being a screaming child. It's almost like a horror trope. Yeah, like, like, like a kid being like throwing a fit in their room and then like when the main character walks in stops looks them dead in the eye and goes you're going to die here <laughs> and then goes back to the screaming for their mom mm-hmm. <clears throat> yeah yeah it's it, exactly like that yeah you're missed uh but i felt like your main character was characterized well uh as far as like the attempted blank slate mm-hmm. protagonist man yeah they gave him enough of a concrete personality that it always felt like the choices you were making, you could infer what he would actually do in the situation. Yeah, enough. And other characters, like, I thought Seven was okay. 
I thought three, the Santa yeah, was Santa. actually a good character, despite JJ's multiple insistences that he was just the swear kid. <laughs> well, he actually ends up being really important in the end. Like right. he's he's actually Zero's assistant, so he's been in on it the whole time. Right, surprise. Which I think is probably what in the beginning where Zero says like some of you know more than others. Mm-hmm. As it turns out, everyone knew more than just well, yeah. you. All of them, <laughs> I think, except you, have done the game before. Mm-hmm. And maybe Lotus. But ba- yeah, basically everyone else has already done the game. Yeah. Uh, but I don't know. I don't know if there were like characters that you wanted to call out as being like particularly memorable. We talked about uh, Lotus and June having a shitty characterization arc. And uh, I just mentioned Clover, but I don't know if there's more. When Snake and Clover were introduced, did you think he was her grandpa? And then they proceeded to tell you that he was her brother? <laughs> uh, I didn't have, like, a concrete... Like, that expectation was not shattered because I did not, like, bother to make the connection. Mm, yeah, he looked older to me, and he had white hair, so I yeah. thought he was, like, in-shape anime grandpa. Yeah, yeah, we're like, we're no one... Because there are no wrinkles <laughs> in anime just right, in general, yeah. so, like... Unless you're very old. And then, she, <laughs> yeah. and then she's like, oh, he's my brother. Like, <coughs> apparently he's, like, the same age as everybody else. Right. <laughs> yeah, the problem is, is that, like, they've... He's a blind guy, mm-hmm. but within those kind of environments they've so often coded you has your eyes closed as like thoughtful pensive old guy like it's like, <laughs> it's really normal for that so you had some a little bit of mixed signals there yeah and like his hair color because of that and the fact that he was wearing like fucking what like the goofiest yeah, imaginable yeah, like, attire uh, incredibly formal ball <laughs> like shoulder clothes. pads with tassels yeah. on them Look, like he literally cannot see what he is wearing <laughs> <That's> <laughs> true. like someone dressed him like that as a joke yeah yeah that seems like, really mean <laughs> like the, like pom-pom girls he was just like oh i can just put him in whatever I like want. he's some kind of weird helper. this is a really dark read <laughs> where she's just like my brother is blind so he's like a doll <laughs> <laughs> i just put whatever i want on him I think this seems insensitive. Yesterday he was like a 50s sailor boy. The right. day before that, yeah. But because of all that, you can compare him with uh, Santa, who also has white hair, but is like... Clearly like, a teenager. Yeah, well, he looks old. like a teenager, but he's not. Yeah. Because it's anime. Right. But, uh... He ends up actually not dying in the end, in case you were wondering. That's good. Yeah. Uh, Ace ends up killing... A guy who is wearing his clothes because he cannot recognize faces. Ah. Uh, mm-hmm. And uh, Snake is actually in the coffin that's in the room with the nine door. Interesting. Re- revelations. Yeah. Wait, how is he? He exploded. Did they he just did, like throw his clothes on? There was a different person. On? Okay. How many did they just like get like a? Uh, so like you're a saying camp? that there aren't even nine persons. There's like fifteen persons. No. Okay. So. <laughs> The extra people come in because um, the people who conducted the experiment are that pharmaceutical company. Right. And uh, part of the, the reason that this game is being played is to get revenge on them. Mm-hmm. So a couple of the other, there are four people like who were in charge of the pharmaceutical company that ran the experiment. Mm-hmm. And Ace is one of them. Shadowy figures all. And the ninth man was one of them. But there Oh, were... gibbering asshole yeah. guy? Okay. And then the other two, one of them is in the captain's quarters, who was murdered by Ace, uh, because of, I can't remember why. 
because seemed like a cool so thing that to do. so that yep. he wouldn't blab or whatever like out him right um and then the fourth guy was put in snake's clothes by i think zero and then ace kills him thinking he's snake because he wants his bracelet i swear gotcha. to god if you count all the way up to nine with these characters i'm gonna explode <laughs> <laughs> but it's just that it's that prevalent in the mm, game yeah oh but this is one thing i wanted to mention and i don't know if this comes up in a different ending because i only got three of them um that i didn't get but whenever you see the image of that guy's body exploded in the shower you yeah know, like you just see like the wall and there's the blood spraying mm-hmm. on the wall in blood it says llr oh, yeah I that's saw that. never brought up <laughs> <laughs> did you try pressing llr or left left right Ooh, that's i need not you may have gotten 99 lives <laughs> maybe <laughs> 999 lives of course yeah yeah but yeah, that that bothered the crap out of me. That never comes up. Yeah, I actually—it's weird because I didn't think about it until you just brought it up again. It was the first thing I noticed when they showed the thing, mm-hmm. and then because it seemed like he died doing something on his own and tried to yep. scrawl. Yeah, like, to write something. Hint. Yeah, but yeah. yeah. So Ace, he took he had the ninth man's bracelet. He took it immediately because right. he's not a dumbass. Uh, Smart. And he wanted Snake's bracelet so he could. Um, do so like something i don't remember what he was like long terming so he could get through the ninth door by himself right um so but the, so he took he had the number of bracelets necessary to open the number three door with his the ninth man's and snakes mm-hmm. so he opened it and then just threw him in and then had it close and that's why he exploded right okay so that's how that happened See, and, okay, so that is kind of what I love about this game, is taken individually, all of these plot points are actually really intriguing, at the very least to me. And also, I forgot to mention, Snake has a prosthetic arm. Oh, weird. And he could just take his bracelet off, because it's on his left arm, and that's the bracelet was put on the other guy, and that's why he... It exploded, because he didn't have a bracelet to begin with. Right. So, question on that, then... (laughs) Wouldn't the person who put the bracelet on Snake have noticed the prosthetic arm? Well, is the person who put I the bracelet know. on Snake even antagonistic? I thought that, like, the second game only existed to, like, make sure that the, the, the girl could still live and that Zero could exist in the Yeah, I don't think Zero specifically wants to murder everybody. I right. really feel like we're just stringing together words at this point, especially the, yeah. people who I mean, I'm probably I'm probably off on some of the things that I said uh, anyway, Of the details, so. yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, whether, I mean, whether <laughs> or not, like, this speculation... Because, I mean, because this is relevant to your first experience with this game as a whole is, like, speculating on what things mean. Because inevitably... Maybe not inevitably, but for the most part, inevitably. At the end of each playthrough, your first playthrough of this game, you aren't going to know the full story. You're going to have to kind of guess as to what is going on. And I think that's kind of what... Like, the game obviously wants you to play it again in order to get that context, but I think that without the context it in itself tells what is actually a fairly satisfying story. Because I've played lots yep. of games whose narratives don't come close to the amount of, like... Not just complexity, because complexity is easy to fake yep. and make bad. Yep. I think that this game does complexity in a way that, because you don't need to have the answers in order for it to conclude, 
ends up being something that is actually an enjoyable mystery story from start to finish. Yeah, the more that I learned about the story, the less I liked it. Right. I have, just to be clear, uh, I have nothing against, and in fact, you generally have to kind of a preference for uh, narrative structures in which you set up a circumstance and uh, a small number of very clearly defined rules and then have the characters riff on the rules to try and get an advantage, like the things that I was mentioning in the first half. Right. Uh, the, the, the way that I didn't like it and the way it's implemented here is that they just kept explaining the rules to you over and over and over again as if you didn't remember them or weren't absolutely critical to everything that was going on. Right. I wish that there was more time spent in the narrative with people trying to manipulate or understand the rules in uh, unique and creative ways and less time just get, like giving you like a last time on Dragon Ball Z recap of what you just read eight right. minutes ago. Well, the, the defense that I'm staging here is the defense of the narrative. It is not a defense of the writing, which is something that a lot of, uh, you know, notable literary scholars would probably <laughs> refer to as piss poor. Fair. I, I can, yeah, I can actually kind of get behind that. I, yeah. Okay. Good job. You got me to say a positive thing about the video game. Nailed it. Let's snowball that uh, into talking about how well designed a lot of the puzzle rooms actually were. Oh man, more positive things? Yeah. The first thing oh I mentioned God. was the fact that this made me feel like when you like crack that first nut in a Zelda game, in a dungeon, you go like, oh fuck, like, okay, so this is how this works. And then you proceed to take that information and just run with it. Mm -hmm. And you end up, uh, like, just basically hitting all the puzzles that you saw and were unable to solve and being able to sort of breeze through them, which is a really cathartic feeling. Yeah. And I think that's what this game did to, like, near perfection with each room. Mm -hmm. The fact that there weren't more of them is probably the biggest detriment that this game has. Yeah, like, even the, um,. The initial room, like the tutorial room, mm -hmm. uh, like find like the first thing I found was the little like code like slip that just had like a, the triangles with the numbers, and I'm and, like yeah. finding that first like really confused me, and I'm like it made it seem way harder. I'm like, what does right. this mean? <laughs> and then it was like that became like super satisfying to then figure it out because it's not that hard. Yeah, you know, like like a lot of the puzzles had that element where like they seemed super daunting at first. Mm -hmm. I thought that was to the benefit of the design. Yeah, it's really easy to make simple sequential lock and key puzzles like that it appear to be these like ludicrous, unanalyzable things because you can, in lock and key puzzles, if you only have one piece of a three-piece puzzle, of course it's going to look inscrutable. Right. For the same reason why if someone handed you one-fifth of a painting and asked you what it was, it would be inscrutable. This game, in fact, Hands you a quarter of a painting, <laughs> you know, to figure out what that is meant. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. But, but I also liked. It makes me nostalgic for older escape room style video games that you you just don't get anymore. Uh, <laughs> and uh, honestly, my the only the biggest hangups that I ever had in gameplay were things that feel like specific problems with the way that I engage with it. Um, I, namely my memory, I kept getting in issues when I was going through the puzzle rooms where I would forget 
and trick myself into thinking that I'd already checked things. Mm. Like, uh, the, the very first time it happened to me in the tutorial room was like, oh, I've already checked that bed. And I didn't I didn't look under uh, the, the, the next, the last pillow on the, like, the bottom right. There was one thing that I Googled in this game, and I thought it was going to be, like, a very bad omen for the rest of it, and mm. I was just going to be, like, hopelessly lost. Yeah. Because I didn't know what to make of the triangle thing ah. in the very first room. But And then somebody was like, well, you just take the two sheets of and I would just like slam my phone down and was like oh there's two of these because the second bed you have to like be in this one position now it's you, you not can't clear check that it you anywhere else it. yeah it's like way on the yeah. left and they like never do that again yeah that's one of my big bigger issues is like thing speed bumps that I would hit would be like things I didn't realize I could click on like they were only half in the frame right or like spatial awareness like I yeah I thought I had already checked a thing and I hadn't or I didn't realize like sometimes you'll turn only kind of like half a screen and you don't realize that this stuff's the same as it was on that screen right you know that kind of stuff could get a little disorienting it took me like actually a few minutes to the room with the laser beam uh, oh, I loved that puzzle. It was a good puzzle. It took me actually several minutes to get out of that room because I kept trying to go through the door because I thought I was turning around. Yep. But you're actually walking backwards. So I would walk back, and see the door, turn. click the door, yeah, and it would turn me back around and I'd go around the corner and be like, I'm in the same room again. Like, what's happening? Mm-hmm. <laughs> One of my other gripes was... I thought there were maybe a few too many puzzles in here that were just like, do math. (laughs) (laughs) Like, like there is one um, in a room that you didn't get to, but it's basically like a Sudoku thing. You have to, like, set everything up so that in every direction, all three numbers have a add up to 15. Um, Which, isn't that just... That is, is that, just that's Sudoku. just Sudoku. Yeah. Okay, I couldn't remember because um, I hate Sudoku. Um, but and I was like, I could do this, but I don't want to at all. That's not fun. <laughs> uh, uh, so I just googled that solution. Uh, but that I mean, that was about it. Yeah, and I don't at all blame you for that because it is a uh, like because it's such a rote puzzle. Mm-hmm. This is like because we played the seventh guest at one point. Uh, which is what I called back that this game kind of reminds me of. We and played the seventh guest. Right, yeah. And as we went through it, the biggest issue that I had was that it felt like it was like, uh, the puzzles in that game felt like puzzles that you would find between like the far side and Slylock Fox. Mm-hmm. Like and newspaper puzzles. Exactly. And this is, uh, and that instance was one of the few times when this game just was that. And I mean, there are puzzles that aren't hard, mm-hmm. like, put blue and red into a beaker to make purple. (laughs) But, like, it served its own thematic purpose. It takes you just long enough to realize you can do that, though. Like, that's the the key, I think, is it takes... It's a knowledge everyone has, but the way it's presented, it takes you just long enough to, like, put them together, to be like, oh, yeah, I can just mix these. Right. Um, No, but another... that I think that might have been my favorite puzzle room, because I also like the part... And this seems like a puzzle that I wouldn't like, but there's that room where you go in and you, there's like a safe in the middle or like some kind of lockbox and like a slip of paper that has like a, like a, uh, what do you want to call it? 
like a hint for like how, how like how to put the code together. Right. Um, and then you had to like just like look at all the stuff on the shelves, and then like the characters will tell you like, oh, this is salt and it's like NACL. chemical and yeah, yeah, it's NACL. yeah and then like you just had to do that with everything and get all those and find their corresponding numbers to put them together and open right. the lock because like i'm I get, i'm not somebody that's like a science kind of guy right. so like that seemed like oh god i don't want to do this <laughs> at first like i don't want to figure all this out and then like it the way it actually played out in the gameplay was like satisfying and i felt really smart for figuring it out like, and that's one of those things that's like in uh my experience with like physical escape rooms is one of those it's like a really elegant design that's almost very specific to this genre like that almost never shows up anywhere else where it's something that is on its surface complicated but in reality, dead simple. Because mm-hmm. it's designed for most people to be able to figure out if you can recognize patterns, but it's not. But it's designed to look like you're doing something much bigger than that. Mm-hmm. So even when it's just sort of like a childish sort of, uh, like, you know, number puzzle to connect the dots, mm-hmm. it looks like, fuck, like I'm a goddamn chemist. Mm-hmm. I know exactly what to put into the briefcase to make it open up. And opening briefcases, man, that is that is the true staple <laughs> of this genre. It is. I actually have a theory about this that I initially came up with when starting to think about uh, the differences between the kind of adventure game design that people seem to respond positively to and the kind that they think uh, that they respond negatively to. I think what we're talking about when we're trying to describe puzzle room circumstances in which it takes a long time for you to think of it and feels rewarding to solve, but it's dead simple in the actual solution. Right. I think what that actually is are puzzles that are designed to incorporate uh, rules, relationships, and structures that you can reasonably assume everyone playing the game has that is not taught to you by playing the game. Right. Like, literally just, like, basic... Outside info. A plus B outside info. This is what colors mean. This is what math is. You, you know, <laughs> you, you you rub this thing against this thing, it creates, a little, you know, like a spark for fire. Stuff like that. Yeah. Uh, really, really basic stuff. Uh and I think puzzles, and which force you to like rack your brain for the totality of like all basic knowledge you possess, feels rewarding just because of the like vast possibility space of the kind of ways that things interact. Because you don't know beforehand, like which you know if the game is going to respect that basic rule of reality, and it's always surprising to see when the game actually does that. Yeah. Uh, it also explains why uh, when you get to like the more obscure, crazier adventure game puzzles where that stops to feel rewarding anymore. Right. Uh, because you get to a point where you're no longer respecting those like basic relationships of reality that you're that you're supposed to be coming into the game with when you're solving the puzzle. And a lot of the times in, in those sort of more abstract solutions to adventure game puzzles that people pan all the time, it no longer feels like you're really devising a solution mm-hmm. so much as you were like... like Batting, like beating your head against the game itself. Right. Like the game is the adversary. Yeah, and you use the word abstract there, mm-hmm. which you can kind of get in like a sillier adventure game. But like, and if you go like that hard escape room aesthetic, you kind of have to make it realistic in a way. Like this could actually exist in an actual physical escape room. Right. Mm-hmm. It's good. It's good stuff. Mm-hmm. It does. We've talked about two other like more traditional point and clicks on this podcast which were uh broken age and the cat lady and in those games in uh, to emphasize this point in the cat lady we praise things like steaming up mirrors using hot water because it's something that 
you can draw from outside mm-hmm. uh, and chastised a bit of uh, in Broken Age in the second half where they sort of wanted to just be like they got into sort of the cat hair mustache realm of nonsensical <laughs> adventure game puzzles. Yeah, it just when you use that you use that approach of, of putting in outside information into the solutions of your adventure game puzzles. It feels extremely creative for the player because the game never has to dictate the solution for you. Mm-hmm. They never actually have to present a hint in the first place and they can just kind of trust because of how basic the relationships going on in front of you is that you'll eventually get it on your own right and that's what makes it feel so fantastic the game doesn't have to like drop a hint that steam's going to be important later yeah it just you bring that to the table and it makes you feel cool uh, and th- this game has 999 has puzzles that are like that that when you have to you know use color relationships and math to, to get the solutions that you need and those are the best elements of those kind of puzzle room scenarios. I, I really do enjoy it, and I want to make sure that I come away with this emphasizing how much the actual game that they managed to sort of, like, sneak into the cracks <laughs> of this. Uh, it is a, it's a wonderful and enjoyable experience, as good as any other, like, normal good escape room. Yeah. As somebody who doesn't sh- share the same vitriol for the rest of the game, mm-hmm. uh, I do... I'm, I'm a little bit tempted, mm-hmm. like, moderately tempted... To uh, approach the sequels to this game, it, hoping that like the same crowd that sort of likes to argue for harder versions of games that already exist uh, exists for this game, and that they made a game that was more focused on the puzzles and more focused on making those puzzles kind of push to their logical extreme. Yeah, I want to see a sequel that's like the sequel to Monument Valley where they just made the puzzles more crazy and good mm-hmm. and let you kind of really grasp the game and play with it. Yeah, until, like, the last puzzle in the true ending route, uh, I, I found pretty much all the puzzles to be pretty easy as well. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Sorry. But uh, I really do feel like... Uh, because you don't normally see a lot of examples of this kind of, like, escape room genre in video games anymore. I do feel like this style of interaction would be perfect for the Nintendo Switch. Um, <laughs> it would be perfect. It would be perfect. It would. It would. All right, hear me out here. Because I think one of the biggest problems that I actually ran up against in going through the good puzzles uh, were the limitations of the DS hardware. It's it's the how it's the comparable smallness of the screen. How you know comparatively not quite as bright or crisp the color differentials could be. I think playing a game like this on the Switch, which is like a huge HD beauty tablet, would al- and it would allow you. It wouldn't increase the actual graphical fidelity because you know these are all pre-rendered screens and just straight up art. Right. But it would allow you to display more things on screen and make them be physically larger and thus more clarified and it just. Just that way, like just literally putting it closer to you, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, while still making it like a touch screen, and you could do other cool stuff with a little switch. Yeah, you gimmicks. could have like more detailed environments and, and that kind could, of stuff. You could use HD rumble. You could have the HD rumble, you could. obviously. But uh, I remember I had like an iSpy game for like the PC, like way back when. Yeah. And like I feel like that kind of a thing, because like the like iSpy books, they have like insanely detailed like 
you know, uh, dioramas or whatever yeah. that are photographed, and, like, those were just in the game. Mm-hmm. And, like, that kind of, like, a visual, like, fidelity would be cool for this kind of a game. Yeah. Totally a conversation for a much, much different time, but uh, the, it, the existence of hidden object games and their, like, ludicrous popularity is, like, a fascinating subject for me. So, like, really? thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Oh, my God. <laughs> I've never ha- I've never expressed this because this... I can't believe I've never expressed this act. It seems like a, it seems like a perfect example of a thing that I would harp on for no reason. Uh, <laughs> why, why is, like, Where is Waldo popular? Who actually finds those fun and not just, like, kind of funny once? I fucking love look and find books what hell yes okay good good. uh we yeah okay Uh, i feel like this is a yeah this is a debate for another time but we'll we'll find a like a popular hidden object game and we'll do an episode on it fuck (laughs) it uh due to a number of factors uh do we have final thoughts (laughs) I feel like you have the most concrete thoughts on this game. Oh, I do. Uh, This has uh, usurped Sly Cooper as my least favorite podcast game I have ever had to play. Uh, It it really just deeply unpleasant every time I was not playing the video game inside of of this visual novel. Uh, I wonder what my least favorite... Fire Emblem. (laughs) (laughs) Daggers. (laughs) I like how you made the devil daggers hands. It's a representation of daggers. It's really good. Yeah. but uh, yeah, I'm just such a hardcore gamer. <laughs> anyway, this, this I, I love this visual novel game. <laughs> <laughs> Somebody stop me! Uh, <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, that, that, that's all I had to say, Chad. You're right. Good job with that interruption. I hate it. Your turn. <laughs> that's really that's what you get. Uh, I mean, okay, okay. If you're really gonna make me make a statement and not just like an emotive expletive that I'm gonna right. shout into the microphone, uh, if you're going to this game is something that I have grown beyond, that likely you, listener, have grown beyond. Uh, and, you know, uh, if you want to give it to, I don't know, if you've got like a a 13-year-old who will look at a DS and not think that it's like some kind of relic of the past and like be disgusted <laughs> and throw it away. I mean, which, again, I'm not defending that decision by the 13-year-old. The DS is fantastic. You should force DSs on your 13-year-olds. Uh, I'm just saying they're very judgmental as an age group. Uh if that that like that's the market for this game, uh, and that's that's what they are. People who are willing to take narratives and characters who are this bad and tropey and not really have the full context for how terrible it is for uh, your like female lead to be like, oh, I'm an innocent person who cares about love, even though I'm gonna die in like 60 minutes. Uh, if you can if you can give this game to an audience of people who are not going to think that deeply about it, narratively speaking, go ahead, because the actual game here is fun. And, you know, it's always fun as a kid to just find some random, like, narratively complex thing to obsess over. And this the narrative of this game does have those kind of nooks and crannies that can really consume a lot of your time. But that's really what this is. It is a thing that eats your time and takes it away and never gives it back to you. Uh, so only give it to people with lots of time to consume. Doesn't doesn't that feel better than like just giving a response that is the verbal equivalent of like the devil horns emoji? <laughs> <laughs> it does. It does. That is why uh, I am on the No Clip podcast and why I don't just like send mean text messages to strangers. <laughs> um, no Clip podcast. It's like a mean text message if you're a stranger, right? Uh, I 
feel quite a bit more positively about this than JJ. <laughs> but that being said, I didn't love this game or anything. Like, I thought it was okay. Yeah. Uh, um, and to kind of continue off of what you said, I was thinking while I was playing it, like, I would have loved this when I was, like, 14. Right. Yeah. I feel like. Yep. Like, when I had the time to actually, like, go through all the endings, you know, like, uh, in a simpler time, <laughs> I could have, like, really probably gotten into this game but um, as it is now, I, I legitimately enjoyed, like, the first, like, half of my experience with the game, and then it really fell off once it started getting super convoluted. So, um, yeah, I, like you said earlier, Chad, uh, I'd, I'd like to see, like, if the other games in the series are any different. They're probably not. But, um, <laughs> but like, I feel like... The idea of this game is a really good one, and I'd like to see it done better. Yeah. I, I think, for me, uh, I, I agree mostly with Andy on this, obviously. Um, I, I feel like I'm actually even less harsh on the narrative than he is in a lot of uh, circumstances, but I, I don't know if I'm just more forgiving. Uh, as far as like how critically rece- well-received this game is, I feel like innovative games and unique games totally do deserve a slight boost in ratings just uh, because that is, in fact, a positive quality. Yeah. And the fact that this game came out to uh, expose a larger audience to something they may have not even tried before, I think is something worthwhile in and of itself. Mm-hmm. Uh, I agree with the whole puzzle room thing being actually exceptionally well implemented, though being you know a little bit easy to, to taste potentially to appeal to its fourteen uh, year old demographic, mm-hmm. uh, as is discussed. Uh, if you love this game, by the way, don't at me. I don't. Definitely don't do that. And also, just as one side note, uh, if you do enjoy this game and do want it to be harder and want all of the narrative to be taken and crumpled up into a paper ball and then shredded and thrown all over a hotel room, I totally recommend playing The Guest, which is just an escape room in a video game that is out and came out like two years ago and is therefore incredibly modern, looks very good, and, you know... Solves a lot of the problems that we had with this game. Is that the one that we played with Janelle that isn't finished? No. Is that the one that's on the Nintendo Switch? I don't think so, but it might be. Damn. I, I do not come prepared with information yeah. about the guests, <laughs> other than I've played like three hours of it, and I'm like most of the way done, but I haven't finished it. Yep. It's quite good. Uh, on that note, Thank you for listening to No Clip this week. What are we talking about next time? Uh, next time, potentially to the horrible detriment of everybody involved, <laughs> uh, we're talking about Danganronpa uh, 3, uh, which is on the PlayStation 4, uh, and happens to be developed by the same uh, team, which I didn't know, nor did any of us know, prior to choosing the games. Uh, basically, we heard a description of the mechanics of it and went... I'm sold, because that is weird as all hell. Mm-hmm. Uh, hopefully it lives up to that sort of like instant excitement that it generated, and it's not uh, f- for 10-year-olds this time, because there's a teddy bear involved. But he's like a murder bear. He's a murder bear, so like 12 to 14. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's like, let's be real. Uh, until we get to talking about that, you can get a hold of us, all of our contact information, as well as past episodes, uh, are on our website at noclippodcast.com. 
you can find our YouTube, our Twitter, uh, where you cannot at us. Please do not at us. Uh, <laughs> no, you can't just... You didn't blanket it anymore. Please at us on Twitter. Uh, even yell at us at sometimes. Us if you think we're awesome and cool. Sure. Uh... <laughs> And otherwise, please, please, please leave a rating and a review on iTunes if you feel we deserve it. Uh, thank you for listening. I'll talk to everybody in two weeks. Oh, God. Goodbye. I don't have a bottle. I'm sorry. Oh, my God. I'll get my bottle. I got a bottle over there. Uh, my bottle's over there, too, actually. Oh, my God. Pant, 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 pant. Oh, Jesus, this has water. I don't know how this is going to sound. Weirder. Yeah, it's a different note. Stranger, echoier. <laughs> it feels wrong, I think. A little bit. Yeah. Anyway, I'm presuming that you have to sprint out the door. Oh, no. Uh, you timed it actually perfectly. I've it's 1229. Yeah, literally. That perfectly. is amazing. Yep. 129999. Exactly. Really? Yes. Wow. I don't understand. It yeah, I know like you're an anime. Know. That's whatever. what's shocking. Oh, okay. It's the worst thing shown in Jump ever printed. I forgot until you just said that. Not only what it was, but that it got on TV for like, uh, like a month. Hmm. I really mean, heard what it's about. Oh, what the hell? Uh, what? Who? What? No, put it down! What? Ah! <laughs>